Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. In Canada, there are currently over 8 million active caregivers, three-quarters of them unpaid. These individuals are juggling full-time careers while also caring for ailing parents, spouses, children, and friends. Americans, too, are well familiar with the stresses of caregiving. Like our neighbors to the north, we're sorely in need not just of support, but media attention to our problems and concerns. That's why we can't get enough of seasoned storytellers like today's guest. Liz Levine is an award-winning producer and former journalist whose creative works span multiple platforms and genres, from fiction to nonfiction. Her recent work includes production of a feature film called Story of a Girl, directed by Kira Sedgwick. Liz also co-produced the only short film from North America selected for the 2017 Cannes Film Festival. That film, directed by Fiona Godivier, is called Across My Land. But today, Liz is here as the writer and director of a new web series specifically created for caregivers. It's called Madeline and Myrtle, and it's about a caregiver and her talking fish. And I'm going to let Liz explain that. Liz Levine, welcome to the HWISE podcast. Thank you. Thrilled (laughs) to be here. So a caregiver and a talking fish. Tell us about the premise and how you got involved with this web series. Well, I got involved because Contellus reached out looking for content creators to build pitches for their caregiver platform and then ultimately to award some of those pitch winners with the financing to make a pilot, which is what we've done. And the platform has 10 projects on it right now, some documentary, some fiction. They're all being voted for, and they were just all meant to be aimed at caregivers, and that was really the only set of parameters that we received. So for us, I think the fish, you know, inspired by a lot of things, by the lack of time that people sometimes have to listen, by Jiminy Cricket and by Wilfred and by all of these characters that have lived in the heads of our protagonists in the history of film and television and a bit of this idea that it is an internal struggle made manifest and Perhaps Myrtle the fish is her own creature, but perhaps this is the other voice that all of us have in our head that knows how to take care of ourselves and that that's a priority. Mm -hmm. And explain what the TELUS Fund is all about. TELUS is a big communications body up here in Canada, equivalent to your AT&T. And they've become content creators and created a number of platforms that finance young artists, the first of which I believe was Story Hive, which is a short film competition, and now this, the TELUS Fund, aimed at, you know, creating great content for caregivers, not just to consume, but also ultimately to become a meeting place where people can connect, not only over the entertainment, but over a resource space that may allow them to reach out, 
home care, whatever it is that they might need at their fingertips. I think the idea is to drive them to a central place where everybody can access what they need. Mm -hmm. So the pilot episode is what you shot. It's called Half Full. It's about six and a half minutes long. And honestly, you had me from the opening shot. I really wasn't sure what to expect, but um, (laughs) your protagonist, Madeline, is about to enter her apartment. She overhears her kid's babysitter on the other side of the door saying, no, no, that's not okay. Don't touch me. And of course, the dread in her face is so familiar. We all know as caregivers that you just don't know what to expect next. She goes into the apartment. We meet the young Sarah, who is Madeline's caregiver for her kids. And we also meet Madeline's dad. And in just a matter of seconds, the entire premise is set up. Madeline doesn't even bother to hang up her coat. She just lets it drop to the floor and she throws off her scarf and she's bracing herself for what is going to be a really difficult conversation with her dad. It's a really moving scene. Tell us more about what's going on with her dad. Well, her dad definitely has a form of dementia. Uh, I think that we have categorized it as Alzheimer's. And, you know, Tom Macbeth, who plays the role of her father, uh, lost a family member to Alzheimer's quite recently. And he really came to the table with the ability to articulate what felt true to him in the dialogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's been an unbelievable resource. So, you know, what's really going on is that Madeline has come home from an overpressured day. Her father, he's forgotten a bag somewhere. We can only presume something else has gone on and Sarah has called her. And, you know, in the 42 minutes she has, she knows that the beginning of this conversation really needs to start to happen. And what's fascinating about watching Tom work is that he understands this disease so well that he's given us a true reflection of the levels of cognizance, the things that they are actually connecting to, Mm -hmm. and the pieces that maybe they're not connecting to. So somewhere in him, he knows that this experience has been impermanent, because the word that he finds when she says, we need to talk about something more, dot, 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 is permanent. And he seems to really grasp that. But he, you know, doesn't grasp the larger picture of it, obviously, has a moment that he thinks he's moving back home. And the Mm -hmm. complexity of those details as to what an Alzheimer's patient might understand or not understand really was a gift from from Tom to the project. Mm -hmm. He's been quite brilliant about it. And I love that you shot a lot of this really tight on these very animated, expressive faces of these really well-cast characters. How hard was it to avoid the sort of old person dementia cliches and still be somewhat accurate? It's a really fine line that you're walking. It is a fine line. I mean, I think that that's also because of the tone of the show is a fine line for us. You know, a lot of the projects are quite serious. They're very documentary style and For me, I felt like that's what I see on the news all the time Mm -hmm. in the human interest story section. Mm -hmm. And it was about being able to sort of give this information in a new way. And towing that line was also about reaching out to cast who are established and brilliant, but maybe working in a new way. So, you know, Tom is, is an old school theater actor and France Perra, who plays Madeline, 
also really comes from a strong theater background mm-hmm. and playing in film and television is is not her usual space but she's an award-winning theater actor and this allowed me to get in really close and just have them go through the actual emotional beats of what this experience might feel like for them and -hmm. allows the audience to feel really close and intimate with the subjects and the storyline so that it has gravitas despite the fact that you know we do have a woman dressed as a a fish in the middle Uh of it all <laughs> and I think that that is also reflective for all of us in any of our roles as caregivers is between these moments that feel poignant and sad and moments where we almost can't help but laugh. You do hit a point where things are such a mess that your only choice is to have a giggle in those moments. And I wanted that to feel familiar to the audience as well. It's very familiar. You do a really nice job of blending the the seriousness of it with the comedy. There's that critical moment about three and a half minutes in where Madeline has packed what we all recognize as an adult diaper for her dad. And then she says, what happened to my life, Myrtle? I can't even take care of my fish, let alone my dreams. She's looking at the fish in the tank. I hate to be giving all this away, but I think, you know, it's pretty (laughs) obvious by now what the gimmick is. And and Myrtle comes alive and she says, it's okay, Madeline, you can do this. And there's just this really magic moment. It's very well crafted. There's some lovely fairy tale music in there. And then you have <laughs> Catherine Kirkpatrick, who's hilariously deadpan. She's very empathetic, yet she's also kind of sarcastic and a sort of tough love cheerleading vessel. Um, <laughs> Madeline says, I must be delirious. Myrtle says, at least you're not hungry. So take us through this scene. Madeline insists she's fine. Myrtle says, no, you're not. You think you can pretend and no one will notice. What inspired that? You know, I think a little bit for France and I, who created the show together, it's also something that comes out of our real lives. France is someone who says often, it's fine. As someone's <laughs> director and as, as a friend, you can hear the difference between it's fine and it's fine. <laughs> and <laughs> there is a clear distinction there. And I think that it's something we do. I think it's something we do as women. I think mm. it's something we do as caregivers. I think it's something we do as leaders is that we expect that our obligation is to say, it's fine. You're hungry, I'll make you a sandwich, she offers. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most ridiculous, <laughs> a goldfish has just come to life in her living room, is complaining <laughs> about the lack of fish food. And this woman's first response is to make it okay for somebody else. Right. And I think that that is a major part of the argument here, mm-hmm. uh, is that you have to take care of yourself first. That instinct to just make it work for everyone is not not helping ourselves and maybe not helping the people around us. Yeah. And it's so common. And we often hear, you know, take care of yourself first. It's almost reached the point where that phrase just falls on deaf ears. So I really like that you're using comedy here to address that age old issue of taking care of yourself first in a new way. Um, Mm -hmm. With so many issues to address, how did you know where to begin? You know, it's interesting. I don't think anybody ever knows where to begin. I think that in a creative process, you always start in the middle somehow. At least I do. So the beginning of it was a conversation between France and I, and then the beginnings of being able to see Madeline in what France does and can do, um, and the pieces of the real person that we're going to work excellently in the character and the ways that we're going to develop the character out from there. And then 
you know, we had the idea for the series. And when we reached out to Catherine Kirkpatrick, who played the goldfish, and I sat down with her, I just looked across the table and Myrtle really came to life for me. I understood Myrtle's tone. Catherine, as a human, also is very empathetic and also takes no BS from anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so this, you know, sort of hit for me instantly. Her voice landed instantly. And then, you know, when it came to story, there's always a bit of a science there. And so the science on this one was that if we get to go ahead, our full season is six episodes. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to build an arc backwards from six episodes and set up some of the details. So, you know, we don't get to meet the twins in this episode, but they are cast and they are very special They are about 22 months old Mm -hmm. and, you know, we will definitely get to meet them as we go. And I felt that we sort of understood implicitly what taking care of children might be like. And the babysitter in Sarah, uh, in Emily Tennant could fill that space. And then it was really about doing two things, setting up the arc with the father and getting that note of gravitas and understanding how much weight these things are on caregivers, even when these things seem as simple as a conversation. And then allowing Myrtle to come to life and giving our audience the space to adjust to this suspension of disbelief and Mm -hmm. to learn to love Myrtle. And so really in six minutes, it's actually very hard to tell a story in a very short amount of time. And so it was a little bit like taking the giant block of marble and whittling it away to six minutes and what were the most important pieces Mm -hmm. that the audience had to be introduced to in order to have the shot at going on this ride with us over six episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Staying on that uh, topic for just a minute. Will the series go forward if it doesn't win the competition? This is my concern because I've already fallen in love with the characters. (laughs) We would love it to go forward. You know, these are a little bit magic tricks sometimes Mm -hmm. to make the machines financed and work. And, you know, for me, I I am producing in a different space more conventionally. Mm -hmm. So financing and building in this web space is definitely new for us. But I think the opportunity that TELUS has given allows us to be out there. And that means that people are seeing it and we are having conversations about it. And I'm also... I'm really behind Madeline and Myrtle. I believe in the project, but I believe in these two creatures as well in in the way that you do. And I want to see them go further. And I'm right now just sticking to the belief that we've created something unique and special and it's going to go all the way. Why are creative media projects like this important for the narrative around caregiving and caregivers specifically? I mean, I think that telling stories is important for caregivers and a number of levels. A hashtag being used right now around the project is storytelling heals. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's true. So I think that financing things like this allow these stories to not just sort of be in our own small echo chamber of our homes or our Facebook friends, but, you know, really to resonate further afield, we're hearing more different stories. And I think it's also... Everything is about language. Our reality is constructed by language. And if we can begin to reshape some of the language on caregiving to a broad enough audience, then we begin to reshape some of the ideas and have a a, a deeper appreciation for what it means to be a caregiver. And for us, this was part of twins and an aging parent as 
not not the most complex caregiving scenario on the planet. A lot of the projects have people with much more severe ailments, parents mm-hmm. that are truly dealing with very ill children or something that's more extreme. And for me, the opportunity in this was about eyeballs and about understanding a breadth of caregivers out there and beginning to really appreciate the invisible side of caregiving. Yeah, I mean, you're just a parent. Oh, you just have a parent, right? Aren't most people a parent or have a parent? But these people are caregiving. This is how we get to those statistical numbers that you referenced in your introduction. Yeah. And this this particular setup, I think is it's broad enough to be relatable to a lot of people. I mean, I think the scenarios that you mentioned earlier are certainly familiar for some people, but in my mind, the sandwich generation caregiver is still like, a lot of people can really relate to that. Correct. So how close to home was this for you? Do you have caregivers in your family? Are you a caregiver? (laughs) I do not have children, and my parents in their early 70s are young physically and at heart and vibrant and healthy. Mm-hmm. So knock on wood, I have been very lucky that way. But, you know, when I was three and a half or four years old, my mother brought triplets home oh. from the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I was a very young caregiver to my younger siblings. It was a lot of children for anyone to manage. So I think there was an eldest child role for me in that space. My grandmother did die of Alzheimer's, Hmm. so there has been a lot of personal caregiving in my life, although not necessarily within the space of this convention. Mm -hmm. And did France Mm -hmm. also, your co-creator, have examples from her own life? She does. I mean, she also is not a parent, but she's also a caregiver in her family. I think we both have complicated families and histories of mental illness and just people that we are, you know, used to to constantly caring for. She also is very much a carer of anyone and everyone, including, you know, the small pigeon with the broken wing that she may (laughs) find outside her home one day. And, you know, I think we both have the tendency as women and as women who recognize that we don't have children, we don't have some of the complications that our peers around us have. We both give a lot. And so there, there's a moment there that we, the exhaustion is familiar to us. Mm -hmm. Did you learn anything new through this project? I learned a lot of new things. I learned a lot of new things about Alzheimer's, for sure, through Tom. My grandmother did die of Alzheimer's, but I was younger and I think more afraid of the disease at that point than I was curious Mm -hmm. about it. It's uncomfortable to be in a room with someone who suddenly doesn't remember you or is saying strange things or behaving in strange ways. And I think as a younger person, I lacked either the the bravery or the curiosity to really delve into it further. And so it was very revealing for me to hear Tom talk about his mother and then to be able to relate that back to my grandmother. Hmm. I was also reminded doing this project of the small things for all of us. You know, the the tip that we give to the caregivers in the pilot episode is just to pack themselves a bag. Mm-hmm. And it's such a simple idea, but it really slowed me down to the place that I was like, I'm going to bring my water bottle. Uh Like, yes, I'm just going to bring that extra thing in the bag, even for me, even standing on set where 
you know, I hear my name a hundred times a minute. Right. Everybody needs an answer from me or something from me. Uh, just the ability to, to even walk out the door in that minute and remember that self-care doesn't have to be about taking an expensive day at a spa where you think I can't spare the day and I can't spare the money. And I think we get caught up in that around self-care. Like it needs to be a big thing. Right. But self-care can be a small thing. It's, it's the tube of chapstick that you really like, mm-hmm. you know, so you've gone out and then bought that $1.99 tube of chapstick for yourself and you put it in your bag and you know where it is all the time. And it's, it's simple, but it is taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You had a consultant to the film who is from academia. Tell us about his role. Yeah, so uh, we actually, you know, have two supporters on the film. Dr. O'Neill, an amazing doctor at Women's College Hospital, who has done a lot of work in the aging space Mm -hmm. and done a couple of TEDx conventions as a speaker. And it was really about reaching out to them to provide some advice on the pilot and also to really engage them going forward, because I think that talking to the experts as you begin to build these stories is everything, because we do want it to ring true. And I think that we have the heart of caregivers, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily the tangible and technical experience. And so O'Neill became somebody that we could reach out to to just say, would this really happen? Does it really go? Is this advice really good advice? Mm-hmm. Beyond the fact that we can research it and read articles and find things on the internet, how good is this advice and how does it connect to what you're doing? And Dr. O'Neill also has a wonderful sense of humor, mm-hmm. as do the amazing people in his office. Mm-hmm. And it was you know, amazing to find someone in the healthcare medical space who could connect to us as artists in such a real way. There was something really human about it. And I'm One of my most excited moments for going ahead is being able to share the next five scripts with him and really hear his thoughts, because that's where the work becomes really special and authentic. Mm -hmm. What other sort of responses have you gotten to the pilot? Uh, I think that overall, people are reacting to the same pieces that you are, that we've managed to hit a note between the comedy and the gravitas that feels authentic to people, and... You know, it'll really be hard to know until the voting ends after May 19th. Right. Because our supporters are our fans and supporters, and those other caregivers out there, we don't necessarily have direct contact with. We've been working a lot through Twitter, Mm -hmm. and we have garnered a huge amount of support on that platform Mm -hmm. from other caregivers who are connecting directly with Madeline or with Myrtle. Um, but also from other organizations that are finding this an engaging new way to talk about caregiving. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's been really exciting for us. And, you know, Myrtle is coming out with a Myrtle mantra a couple of times (laughs) a week um, that, you know, is logging in these little posters on Twitter. Oh, that's great. Ask for help. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just little messages like that. And then, Myrtle also is running her own Instagram account right now, which is not like a Madeline and Myrtle the series proper, but is Myrtle's Instagram account. And bless the amazing Catherine Kirkpatrick, who goes out into the world with that goldfish hood in her purse. Oh my God, that's amazing. And when she sees something amazing that Myrtle should be a part of, she puts that 
put on and gets out her camera, told me the other day, I think I'm on my way out to buy a selfie stick. Oh, wow, she's so really invested. She's deeply committed to the role, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I love Myrtle. I mean, like a Jiminy Cricket, I, I can imagine Myrtle with her own advice column and her own little YouTube spin-off and, you know, taking live questions and answers from people. I think I think Myrtle has a has a life here that people are going to connect with deeply. Yeah. Did uh, Dr. O'Neill, did he steer you away from anything specifically that you can remember? At this point, no, okay. because I think the pilot was so contained, sort of the things that had to be told. He really just provided a, a huge bulk of information for us. I tripped over a few things myself, you know, one of them being that you're not to correct Alzheimer's patients all the time. You can't constantly correct them. Mm -hmm. And in this pilot episode, you know, she does correct him. She wants him to understand that they're not going back home to mm -hmm. whatever home he might have thought that was. Mm -hmm. But part of it is that Madeline gets to learn with us. So I am learning this as I go through the pilot episode. And by the time we're into the second or third episode, getting some care for the father, Madeline gets corrected by one of the professional caregivers uh -huh. very gently and very lovingly, but pointedly to say, you just can't correct him all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, dad also has a relationship with Myrtle and Myrtle has a relationship with dad mm -hmm. and we sort of let it go that through the whole series that the dad thinks that Myrtle might be mom. Hmm. We wow. just kind of accept that and we've just sort of hinted at that at the end of the pilot as she leaves him a little gift in his bag at the very end of, of the series. Right. So, there's learning curves like that that have come from the literature that then become deep thinking points for us. Like, what does it mean that you can't correct these people all the time? What does it mean for comedy? But what does it also mean for those real moments in real life where somebody who is suffering from this says something that is just so far off center and, and there's no way to redirect? And how do we deal with that as a caregiver? And where do we put that energy or that frustration or those ideas that we can't be right? We yeah. can't even explain ourselves, let alone get all the way to the point of being right. And I think that that must be a frustrating space to live in. Oh, yeah. it's And it's so tricky for caregivers because these are people who are, in many ways, very good at what they do and sort of control freaks. And it's like, <laughs> you know, you think you can fix it and you can't. That's what you're trying to do, whether or not you're aware of it. Yeah, I think control freak is, is a great description. And I think you know, that is where we as creators also connect with this. It's part of the, I'm fine and I'll make you a sandwich and let me just fix it because I can. I think that caregivers are also generally competent people with huge capacities. And so our ability to ask for help or admit that we need the time or the moment or can't do it is a challenge often. And that's also where I feel Myrtle is being hugely helpful. Yeah. And you know, my mom has uh, Alzheimer's. She was diagnosed with early mm -hmm. stage Alzheimer's in 2012. She has mm -hmm. certainly has dementia and she has cognitive impairment. And it really took me a while to get comfortable not knowing for somebody who's control oriented and very proactive to be able to say, okay, just let her say that. It's really using new muscles or getting good at something. And mm -hmm. at a point in your life where you think you really know a lot. Yeah. And that's really hard. Yeah. So 
have you shot any outdoor locations or was this all in one place? This was all one, all in the apartment, right? Yeah. All in the pilot. Yeah. I mean, you get a little bit of the hallways and the elevator, but really we did keep it in the apartment. For me, it was about dollars and cents, yeah. as in common sense. Our pitch video was done on that couch against that green wall. Mm-hmm. It's available on Facebook, the, mm-hmm. the video that we pitched to tell us to win the dollars. And it had such a clean aesthetic and it felt poppy and light, which was definitely something that I was driving for, knowing how serious some of the rest of it would be. Mm-hmm. And I really liked putting in the time and effort at that location to get the performances out that you can see we've gotten mm-hmm. and sometimes bouncing around and a couple day shoot in a lot of locations and dollars and cents to locations and liaisons and security and moving trucks. It's just not necessarily the right place to have the money end up on screen. So the pilot was about keeping it in one place and keeping it focused on the story, on great performances and on what really matters. And then over the course of the rest of the season, every other episode takes place somewhere else at an assisted care facility, Mm -hmm. in a yoga class out on an adventure with the kids in all kinds of places, but maybe starts or ends in what has now become familiar to us as Madeline's apartment. And because, you know, you finance the series all at once, so you amortize those episodes. So you're shooting eight days over your series and you have five locations for each of the five episodes. Mm -hmm. So you shoot a day at every location and then three days at Madeline's apartment. Mm-hmm. And we are, I am excited to get this team outside and into a bigger world, but I really it was part of the decision to shoot as intimately as you mentioned as well, and to be really sort of up close and personal with those actors. And at that point, save your money, be in a small space, focus on the craft. Wow, it would be really and that great. that was really the decision. Yeah, it would be really great if and when you get to go into a care facility, because you're going to get some amazing real life characters in there. Correct. And we definitely have have written in uh, a few episodes, actually, at a care facility. And we are looking at a few in the lower mainland that can let us into that space. And I think we probably will use some real people at that facility. And then we also have a couple lovely women who are great actors in that age demographic working here in Vancouver, and they'll join us to help make that process sort of smooth and comfortable. Mm -hmm. Did you ever consider the possibility of using an actual person living with dementia for the character that Tom plays? I didn't. And, you know, the real reason why is the pressure of what we do. Everybody on the screen, certainly in front of the camera, is a professional And it's still pressure for them. The world moves fast. The world is dangerous. It's lights and metal bars and cables and lots of young people running around with slate boards and walkie-talkies. And it's just not going to be a good environment. It's Mm -hmm. not a calm environment in that sense if you are new to it. And I think you can see what Tom has brought to the role. And I think that in terms of our audience and what they get to see, this is why we have great actors. Uh And Tom is really a great actor and his ability to make this realistic. And you would know more than me because you are dealing with a parent in this space. But I, I just feel that that will connect to so many people. And I think if I was working with someone who was really struggling, it would be a lot more hit and miss. And you have to be very economical, too, in terms of what you think you can get from the characters. And it makes complete sense. So so background and the idea of populating 
a real assisted living facility with real people there is excellent. Mm -hmm. The idea of getting dialogue across in a way that is poignant and lands and helps the narrative move forward, Mm -hmm. you need a real act. Yeah, but you can really layer it with those extra outside characters, those extras. Exactly. Um, So do you know how many films were submitted for the competition? I know that 10 were chosen. Yeah, I'm not sure how many people they reached out to for the competition. You know, it wasn't originally posted publicly it was a oh. reach out to content creators that they knew. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming not huge numbers. Mm-hmm. Like I think because everybody was already an established content creator, they didn't go through hundreds of first time filmmaker content. You know, as a writer director, I am a first or second timer, but obviously as a content creator and filmmaker, I'm very much not. So I think that it was, you know, probably a few dozen. Mm-hmm. But they went through and then boiled it down to these 10. There's not a lot in the fiction space. And I think the lightness and the fiction of it and the part that doesn't feel like a news documentary is right. really what sets us apart mm-hmm. and makes us unique. But there are some fantastic projects. A company called Toast out of Toronto and Montreal has done a, a beautiful short documentary, excellent production values mm-hmm. in both English and French, which is definitely of value hmm. here in Canada. It's a really special project as well, so it's worth looking at, especially because three projects go ahead, and I definitely want and expect Madeline and Myrtle to be one of them, but I'd love to see a group like Toast move ahead with us because they've done an excellent job. So three of the ten will be selected. I wasn't aware of that. Um, I didn't pay attention to that detail. I think I might have asked you this before, but I want to ask why this is so important to you, this project. (laughs) And by the way, my mom's uh, Canadian, so the word project comes naturally excellent. to me. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I think that it is important to me because I have caregivers in my life that are both personal caregivers and professional caregivers that now more than ever need some self-care. So, you know, I, I would personally dedicate this to my mom, uh, mm. and I think that that makes it personal for me. And then I think, you know, away from the caregiver side a little bit, it is a real opportunity for me to stretch my muscles. I come from a journalism background, as you mentioned. I'm a writer by trade, but really have not done that in over a decade, Hmm. have been focused on producing. Hmm. I have never written scripted material before this. I wrote one short film a few months before we shot this. So the writing and directing space is a new space that I really have watched from the outside for a decade and some, uh, been fascinated by, but sort of stuck to my guns and built a successful producing career. And the opportunity for me to step outside that box and do something else that is also awesome and amazing and fun as a day job is really a, a blessing. I feel I feel lucky to be able to do it. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, before we yeah. go, tell us a little bit about your new feature, Story of a Girl. It's coming out this summer, right? Eh? It is. So, Story of a Girl, directed by Kira Sedgwick, based on a book by the same title by Sarah Zarr. It's a wonderful feature film. It is opening on Lifetime on July 23rd. But first, we'll be screening at the Edinburgh Film Festival on June 22nd. So the team is heading to Edinburgh. We're really excited to share that movie with the world, too. It's a special story. It's important. It's timely. It was a fun project to do and very family-oriented. Kira's daughter is in the movie. Her husband, Kevin Bacon, is in the movie. And her son, 
Travis did the score. And they are an amazingly talented and wonderful bunch. So we're really looking forward to it. Oh, that's great. Well, I want to offer you the opportunity to provide any last thoughts before we go. Do you have any last thoughts? I don't really. I'm just really excited that we're getting to share this with a broader audience and break out of our sort of film and social network circles. (laughs) And I hope that it matters to people. I hope that Myrtle makes a difference even in the smallest of ways, because at the end of the day, that's why we make art. Award-winning producer and former journalist Liz Levine. She's the writer and director of Madeline and Myrtle, a new web series created just for caregivers. We'll have a link to the project on the AgeWise website, but the best place to check it out is by going to storiesforcaregivers.com, where you can click on the Madeline and Myrtle page, watch the six-and-a-half-minute or so uh, pilot episodes, scroll down the page, and click the Vote button if you're so inclined. Voting ends on Friday, May 19th, so don't hesitate. Liz, thank you so much for coming on the show, and best of luck with Madeline and Myrtle. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. In the meantime, if you like this show, please tell your friends and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Rate us. The AgeWise podcast is distributed nationally on the Speak Up Talk radio network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand network that's always on for you. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.